The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the beast herself, Tammy the Gur Underwood. Say, ah, Tam. Ah. Damn, it sounds like you're passing a stone. You okay over there? No. You need a doctor? Call 911? Kind of do. God damn. All right, so we're going to do part two and wrap up Starved Rock. Unfortunately, we don't have Brian back on the phone with us. I know. He is actually at work. And he was telling me actually in a text message, he's like, yeah, man, I'm sorry I wasn't as interactive, but um, I thought today was going to be quiet work day, like doing trim because he's a contractor. Oh, okay, okay. Does construction. And in, instead, we were doing, uh, you know, like pulling electrical, I think is what he said. I said, dude, it's okay. You can come back on the show any damn time you no want. No doubt, yo. Freaking love Brian. He's yeah. a great guy. <laughs> Brian, you're my hero because honestly, I can't do construction for shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a musician. I'm not a fucking contractor. Yeah, Scott needs somebody to come fix his fence. <laughs> no shit, right? <laughs> that fucking fence is now a hazard. <laughs> that fence is like, nah. It couldn't keep in anything. It, it scares me to even go in the backyard. I'm afraid it's going to like fall on me. <laughs> I would laugh my ass off. I don't care if it falls on the dog. Oh! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Poor thing. They're smelling your bad breath this morning. Fuck. That is so funny. Fucking pain in the ass, dog. God damn it. All yeah. right. Let's get into Starved Rock. Okay. Now, remember, Chester, you know... The molester, yeah. Yeah, no, Chester Weger, they convicted him, and the Did you say, did you just just use the N-word? Chester Weger. Oh, (laughs) my bad. Anyways, how he, um, you know, they convicted him and everything. The jury gave him life because they thought he'd be in there for the rest of his life, and he was eligible for parole after 10 years and all that jazz. And there's questions on his innocence or guilt. Now, I'm going to get into some legal significance on his case to start with, but... There's a lot of stuff that points towards his innocence. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I was researching the Star Rock murders, I was shocked by a lot of things that I uncovered. So I dug deeper and I found out that Chester's case held legal significance because within a few years of his conviction, because remember he was convicted in 1961. Right. The Supreme Court made two landmark decisions that may have changed the outcome of his charges. If these decisions, his charges, trial, and conviction had these decisions been made prior to his arrest, and you know, one of them should have been Taco Bell putting a damn label on the side of their food that says automatic, you know, bathroom trip. Yeah, mystery meat. (laughs) (laughs) Are you constipated? Use this, you won't be for long. Yeah, no doubt, yo. So, the first decision was the 1963 case Brady versus Maryland. That's when the Supreme Court determined the prosecutor in all criminal cases must provide all potentially exculpatory evidence to the defense team. That includes anything that might be favorable to the defense, even if the evidence could outright exonerate the defendant or result in their acquittal. Correct. Now, therefore, Chester's case is in direct contrast to all criminal cases in the present. At no time during the investigation or trial proceedings was the prosecution obligated to provide his defense team with any evidence that might have proved favorable to his case. In other words, if the team had any evidence that might provide the jury with reasonable doubt, they did not have a legal 
there was no legal precedent requiring them to turn that evidence over to Chester or his defense counsel. So, you know, hold on. Which is important because you'll note, you'll find something out a little later. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, man, I'm glad that they actually, that, that, that they actually changed that, that ruling. And I'll tell you why, because there are people who've gone to prison, as we both know, oh, yeah. that are fucking innocent. Oh, totally. Meanwhile, the prosecution's sitting there going, oh, man, we have all this stuff that's going to kind of prove Bob over here. Yeah, might you know, not put d- reasonable doubt do on his guilt. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to turn that over. Fuck Bob. What? Why? Why? Bob's just a normal dude, you know, and especially. And I find that if you're looking through case law. Because, you know, I fucking get bored and I read too much shit. I, I've gone through um, case law before, too. It's kind of like you have to kind of understand legalese, but yeah. Right, but when you when you look through it, a lot of these people, you're like, this is just a normal dude. And yeah. you find that, like, a lot of people who are mentally retarded get to be the scapegoat, before, mm-hmm. especially before this, you know, be, be, before that landmark decision happened. Yeah, before the early to mid-60s. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, you know, screw Bob. He's half-retarded, mm-hmm. and we're just going to we're, we're gonna close the case, and we're going to look good, and we don't care about Bob, but <coughs> Bob's just trying to make his way through the world, man. He's just, he's out there, and, uh... <coughs> sorry. <coughs> God, I'm dying. No. Um, he's, he's just out there trying to, like, mow lawns or, yeah. you know, do, do whatever he's got to do to make some extra yeah. cash. Meanwhile, they're like, you know, fuck this guy. Bob didn't do nothing wrong. Right. Well, and, you know, I don't remember when the case was, I mean, when the Supreme Court decision came about, too, that if if a cop, if somebody reports a crime, for instance, let's say the market down the street gets robbed. Right, right. Okay. People saw the person who robbed it. So the cops are out looking for this person. If they happen to catch somebody that fits the description, they are not allowed to bring that person back in the police car to have them positively identified because that is called fruit of the uh, tainted fruit or something like that. Yes. Because fruit of the poison tree or something like that. Because automatically a person sees somebody in a cop car, in the back of a cop car, they automatically think that that person did it because, you know, why else would the cops pick them up? Oh, very very true. You know, I've seen people get... Okay, a good example. Remember me telling you about uh, a former student of mine, uh, Barbara Claywell. Right. <laughs> She's not a hooker. She wasn't doing heroin. But it was, she dressed very provocatively, you know, when she got thrown in the back of that sheriff's car in California. And she was crying. They thought I was a hooker and doing the heroin. And I thought that was funny as shit. <laughs> so I had to go in the back of the goddamn truck and fucking crack up. But, and um, pissed your pants. <laughs> oh, I damn, damn near did. God damn, that was hilarious. Um yeah, not, not yeah, so much for her. But, yeah, um, they cannot, they, yeah, because it's fruit of the poison tree. They but she cannot like, do that. She looked like she was guilty. Like, I'm yeah. walking up. I know that she's not a hooker, you know, or doing heroin. And I'm looking at her thinking to myself, what did that bitch do? Huh? What, yeah. what crime did she commit? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, okay, and then the second decision was the 1966 case. Now, everybody's familiar with this case, Miranda v. Arizona. That was when the Supreme Court determined, quote, any suspect detained by the authorities must be informed of their constitutional right against self-incrimination and their right to retain legal counsel before they can be interrogated by any law enforcement officials. That's why people are Mirandized now. Yes. That is the right to remain silent. I can, I can quote it. But sometimes I don't have the ability. I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what this would have meant for Chester and his case if the Supreme Court's opinion had been issued prior to 1961, Dumit and Hess would not have been able to do two significant things. They wouldn't have been able to take him into custody without informing him he was under arrest. 
And they would not have been able to question him without telling him he could refuse to answer their questions without an attorney present. Correct. Now, remember, he did not even get an attorney until like almost a week after his quote unquote confession. And I actually believe him that the cops may have pulled a gun on him. Oh, yeah, totally. And, 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 and forced a confession out of him because that well, shit yeah. happened kind of a lot in the 60s, man. Well, and not only that is I'm researching a case right now that happened in 1945-46 where, you know, there's still the question of pre- police brutality and stuff like that in the case. It doesn't doesn't surprise me. It yeah. really doesn't, you know. And yeah. while and it happened in the same area that this case happened. And while there are, I, I support the police department a lot. You know, except for Vancouver PD. They can kiss my ass. <laughs> this is probably why they don't like me. I probably have some of the yeah. officers that listen to this show and sit there and go, I am Scott. waiting for the day I can I'm pull, pull his pull ass over. I'm going to pull his ass over, and then I'm going to tase him. I'll show him. Uh, go for it. Not the Remember first what time. you said on this day? <laughs> That's right. Remember, remember you saying that we're assholes? Well, here you go. My luck. But um, there's a, there's a lot of good cops out there, but the problem is, is that it doesn't take... But one bad cop. Yeah. To one and one bad apple ruins a whole damn bunch. Right, and that's why I'm kind of glad they're they're closely monitored now. Now that they're all using like body cams and, uh-huh. and dash cams, because that way there, it helps. Number one, it it, it helps keep the good cops good, mm-hmm. and it helps weed out the dickheads. Yes, exactly, because exactly. There's been times I've been pulled over before. <clears throat> um. Uh, here's a good example. So I was going through Warm Springs Indian Reservation um, at night, and uh, and I was driving truck, and uh, I get pulled over because I had a, uh, a headlight out. Okay. And what it was, it was a training exercise. The sergeant was training uh, two new cadets. Okay. And he goes, hey, I just want to tell you your headlight's out. Normally, I just let you go, but this is a training exercise. Would you mind if we searched, you know, your, your trailer? And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's do it, man. He goes, what are you hauling? I said, Easy. Car parts and narcotics. <laughs> and I was serious because I, I Yeah, because isn't drugs. that back when you did prescription drugs or whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, pharmaceuticals? I, pharma, I did pharmaceuticals and, and car parts uh, for a company that's defunct now. But um, so he goes, oh, this is going to be good. Said, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So I go back there and I take my lock off of the, off the trailer because you have to lock it up. <clears throat> and they, they go through the whole thing and he's asking questions and, and what have not. And he goes, so how do we know that he didn't stuff some illegal drugs or cash behind these panels. And nobody said a fucking thing. Well, I knew exactly why. Yeah. And finally I go, you mind if I answer? He goes, yeah, Mr. Alexander, go ahead. So if you look at the uh, the bolts that are holding these panels together, they got a lot of rust on them and no tooling marks. Right. So obviously they haven't been removed and then replaced. He goes, dead on. I said, yeah, I know. I said, look at that yeah, shit. I know. But yeah, I, I, he was a cool cop. Fucking awesome. We ended up talking because yeah. I've got tattoos and he had a lot of ink too. So we talked about ink and shit like that. Then I've met other ones that are freaking assholes. Oh, totally. Totally. Total fucking like, I'm Johnny Law and I'm going to make your but, life hell. And what's really bizarre about that is like back when I was getting in all my trouble back in the early 90s, I there was literally an officer in the small town I was in that her name was Officer Law. <laughs> and she literally was the only female on the force, and she was a bitch. I'm the long arm of the female yeah. law. Yeah. Get over here, boy. But she was just, she was a bitch. But anyway, so therefore, at any point during the interrogation process, had he said anything, of, even mentioned having an wanting an attorney, they would have had to stop questioning him and would have only been able to resume their interrogation 
after he retained counsel and his attorney was present. Correct. In other words, he wouldn't have confessed committing the crime. No, no hell no, unless right? he's a total idiot. Yeah. So over the years, now there's questions about his guilt. Over the years, people have questioned Chester's guilt. In fact, there are multiple factors that actually point toward his innocence. As I stated above from the beginning, Warren and his detectives didn't have any physical evidence that would directly link Chester to the triple homicide. Nor did they have evidence or witnesses placing him in the canyon when the murders took place. On the other hand, there was evidence that may have exonerated him that the DA would have had to hand over to the defense. Now, during the investigation, detectives discovered a strand of blonde hair on a glove that belonged to Francis. When Chester was arrested, <coughs> investigators took hair samples from him, and the hair and evidence and the samples collected from Chester were sent to the Eastman Kodak Company. That's when they did a lot of analyzing back then. Uh-huh. Um, because they could only do, like, uh, microscopic analyzing. They didn't have DNA testing. So according to official documents, their report definitively determined the two samples were dissimilar. Not only that, investigators also found black hairs in Lillian's palm indicating she had pulled Given a hand job from the suspect during the struggle. Giving him a hand job. That's how no. she got that. Since Chester's hair wasn't black, it couldn't have been his. In fact, law enforcement officials collected and analyzed numerous hair and fiber evidence. However, the hairs, fibers, and analytical reports were not introduced during Chester's trial. Those who believe in his innocence, other researchers, and some legal experts have their own theory, which is supported by two facts. When the murders took place, Chester was 5 foot 8 inches tall and a slight build. It's highly unlikely he would have overpowered the three women and restrained them, let alone restrain them alone without at least one getting away. Oh, yeah, and he can. Have you not watched ninja movies? Okay, but he was a slight build, five foot eight white dude. And maybe he's a secret ninja. <laughs> you ever think dope. about that? No, you only think about yourself. I do. Since the authorities found evidence of two different hair colors, there's a strong possibility the women were attacked and murdered by at least at least two people, right? That makes sense, yeah. So then there are the polygraph records. For several re- weeks after the murders occurred, employees at the lodge, including Chester, were given <laughs> Holy catfish. My dog's several freaking po- out. Yeah, but I, I secured the door, so. Get her and get her the fuck away from the door. They were given several polygraph tests. He passed every single one. Therefore, Warren didn't have any reason to make, or legal, you know, legal precedent to make him submit to another polygraph test six months into the investigation. So those in favor of his innocence also think that Warren's claims that the results of the last exam indicated he had been untruthful were highly suspicious. Right? Very suspicious. <laughs> suspicious minds. So then there's the Chester's questionable confession. There's evidence that supports his claim that he involuntarily confessed to the murders after being coerced by the detectives, especially since Dumit verbally threatened him, saying he would be given the electric chair if he didn't confess to committing the crime. I got to tell you why the dog went ape shit. Why? Cheryl. Oh, of course. <laughs> so it's oh been legally God. proven that if a suspect is threatened with death, there's a higher probability they will give a false confession. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Even if one doesn't believe Chester was threatened or coerced into confessing, there is the question of its validity. If 
his transcribed and signed confession, Chester stated he initially only intended to rob the three women, and he killed them when they fought back. However, when the authorities processed the crime scene, the women were still wearing all of their valuable jewelry and wedding rings. So you'd think if he had intended to rob them, he would have taken that, right? You would think, you would yeah. think. There's the other, another aspect of his confession that defies logic. He said he approached the women to rob them. However, once he declared his intent, one woman initiated the altercation, attacking him first. Because she's also a ninja. Right. Dun, dun, dun. So if that were the case, it's very highly unlikely that Chester would have been able to get the upper hand and restrain all three of them. Especially since common sense would suggest while one or two women fought off their small stature assailant, the third could have successfully escaped and gone for help. Then, several decades after Chester's trial ended in a conviction, one juror actually came forward with more information. In 2016, the Chicago Tribune published an article in which this juror stated at the time of Chester's trial, she felt his confession was, quote, implausible. In fact, his appeals attorneys, Celeste Stack and Andy Hale, have argued that had the legal system in 1961 been held to present-day standards, his case never would have made it past the preliminary hearing. Now, then there's the question of an alleged deathbed confession. In 1982 or 1983, an unnamed woman allegedly made a deathbed confession to an officer from the Chicago PD. However, Sergeant Mark Gibson's affidavit about this confession wasn't submitted until 2006. Now, Chester's appeal attorneys used the affidavit to support their motion to the court requesting new DNA testing on the evidence in the Star Rock murder case. Now, Gibson's affidavit stated he and his now deceased partner received a call from Rush St. Luke's Presbyterian Hospital in which a staff member claimed they had a, quote, terminally ill patient who wanted to clear her conscience. Now, Gibson says the woman was lying in, in the hospital bed. I went over and she grabbed hold of my hand. She indicated that when she was younger, she had been with her friends at a state park when something happened. Apparently, the woman claims she and her friends were at a state park in Utica, where Starved Rock is, when things, quote, got out of hand. She said, quote, multiple women were killed. She also stated, quote, they dragged the bodies. Now, according to this affidavit, it was at that point her daughters came into the room demanding an end to the interview. They ordered Gibson and his partner to leave the room as they shouted claims their mother was out of her mind. Out of her mind, I tell you. <laughs> right? So going over the affidavit, at no time did he give the woman's name or give the exact date the alleged confession took place. However, he said he did pass his report of the incident along to a detective in the department. But nothing in the records indicated the detective followed up on his report, nor did he say why he waited until 2006 to offer this information. The court did not allow Chester's attorneys to enter the affidavit of the alleged confession to support their motion, but it ordered new DNA, they ordered new DNA testing anyhow. However, reports indicate the results of the new test couldn't confirm Chester's guilt or exonerate him of the charges. And the reason being, over the decades, the evidence containing DNA samples that were submitted for testing at that time had either been contaminated or corrupted. Now, Chester's supporters has, have asked if this le alleged confession was regarding the Star of Rock murders. Um, 
throughout Chester's incarceration, he continually maintained his innocence. He wrote a letter to the Chicago Tribune dated April 20th, 1963. In the letter, he said, now there's nothing in the world that I needed bad enough to kill for. And then from the beginning, Chester's family and friends stood by his side, defending his innocence. And Stand by me. <laughs> in 2013. Stand by me. Whatever. They started Friends of Chester Weger, a Facebook page that as of April 6, 2023, has 2.6 thousand followers. Wow. Yeah, in 2016, the Chicago Tribune published another article about his case. And that article, Chester said he would rather die in prison than admit to something he did not do. Fair enough. Exactly. So after his conviction, he was sent to Stateville Penitentiary in Joliet. His first opportunity to seek parole was in 1972, and it was denied. Over the years, he applied for parole 22 times, and his request was rejected at every hearing. Besides the failed appeal attempt in 2006 and the 22 rejections from the Illinois Prisoner Review Board, Chester petitioned for clemency. In 2007, his... Isn't that a venereal disease? No. Clemency is where you ask the governor basically to let you go. I thought that was chlamydia. Okay. My bad. In 2007, his petition was submitted to Governor Rod Blagojevich. I can't even... Don't even try. Yeah. I know it I know it because I've heard that name before, but who denied the request in June of that year? Now in November on November 29, 2018, he had a hearing for his 23rd request for parole. Again, his petition was rejected when the board returned with a split 7-7 vote. He was only one vote short of being granted parole, but the board told him he could apply the following year. He submitted his 24th petition for parole the following year, and his hearing took place on November 21st in front of the same parole board members from the year before. At that point, he had been incarcerated for approximately 59 years. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. He held the distinction of being the longest-serving inmate incarcerated in the Illinois Department of Corrections at that time, and he was the third longest in the history of the Illinois penal system. She said penal. I did. So after receiving 23 parole rejections, a failed appeal, and being denied clemency, Chester didn't expect his 24th parole hearing to be any different. However, the board returned with a 9-4 vote in favor of his release. From prison, he was transferred to a mission in Chicago that works with parolees on the rehabilitation. And once he Chester was transferred to the mission, there was another delay in his release process, this time for 90 days. Because during that time, the Attorney General of Illinois petitioned the courts requesting that Chester be evaluated under Illinois' Sexually Violent Persons Commitment Act. It was a last-ditch effort to keep Chester incarcerated indefinitely. That attempt failed, and he was officially released on February 21st, 2020, and he was 80 years old. See, that's fucked up, man. Like, his whole life was yeah. just dog shit in prison. Exactly. For something, for something he, he probably did yeah, not probably do. Yeah, freaking do. What exactly. Dicks. Yeah. But, fucking dicks, man. Um, now, his, his appeals attorneys are continu- continuing the fight to exonerate his name. Now, on August 1st, 2022, just last year, more physical evidence from the case was sent to the crime lab. One item included Francis's glove with the strand of blonde hair, and detectives determined the hair belonged to a male, and they retrieved enough of the follicle to test it for DNA. The results conclusively proved that it did not belong to Chester. Then on February 24, 2023, just a couple months ago, his attorney, Andy Hale, told 
a newspaper that they still hadn't been able to determine who the hair belonged to. And they submitted the sample to the state and federal DNA data banks, but their attempts to cross-match it have proved unsuccessful. Is he still alive? Yes. I want him on Last the show. Last I heard he is. Now, my whole thing is, is Andy Hale has also said that he has evidence that points towards one of the relatives of the one of the deceased women's family members hiring the mob to kill those women. Well, it kind of makes sense because... Because all the husbands were very affluent in the business realm. That would make you... And you're in yeah. freaking Chicago, so... Oh, kinda, tot, totes the, my goats, yo. Like, the, the, the weather there is very mobby. <laughs> Especially back then. Yeah, no shit, man. It's Al Capone shit going on. God damn. Exactly. So, yeah, so there's all that. And I honestly... Honestly, honestly, do not believe he had anything to do with it. I think he was a scapegoat. It doesn't because sound they were, like it. Because they were pressured into finding somebody who committed this crime. Because affluent women in Chicago from affluent families with high-up husbands in the business fields, you know, that totally suggest that it was all set up. I, I agree. I agree. I would like to get uh, Chester's version of the story, too. I would, too. I, I would, would, too. Definitely. Last I heard, he's still alive. So Rock on. We've got to figure that shit out. Yeah. Right? All right. We ready to wrap this shit up? I'm ready. God damn, about time. Whatever, dude. This was our shortest episode to date. Well, you start yapping and time drags on. It's well, and then you eternity. insert your, like, two cents. It makes nothing to do with the case. I tell you what, man. If I had one day to live, I'd spend that whole day doing a podcast with you. Because every second seems like a fucking eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Much love, Tam. You know Much what? Love. I thought that was going to be so heartfelt and warming, but no, you totally turned that around to be a dick. I hate you. <coughs> Fucking dying over here. Shit. Uh, all right, boys and girls. Can you get it out now? Woo, good lord, good lord. I got the vapors. <laughs> Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join us at the Citizens of Brutal Nation. Log on to the chat. Say hi. You know, we got some people that just log on and say, hey, good morning, fuckers. And then they leave. That's fine. You know, let, let us know that you exist. You, that, and that then you they breathe. leave. Yeah, then they leave. You know, kind of like uh, half the women I have in my house. And hopefully ha- like your mom after, you know, I'm finished, she'll leave. Um, you know, after I'm the done. fifth or sixth round with her being I naked in bed. You. Rubbing her down with butter. Shut up. I got to count my change. No, that's all right. I'm going to rub her down with butter and maybe some baby oil. Mm. I'm ignoring you. On Dun. purpose. Clam slamming. Two. This show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And I suppose we will have to catch you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.